0: chapter seventy one of the d'artagnan romances volume three part one by alexander dumas translated by william robson this Librebox recording is in the public domain a procession at vannes the passage from belle-isle to sartzo was made rapidly enough thanks to one of those little corsairs of which d'artagnan had been told during his voyage and which shaped for fast sailing and destined for the chase were sheltered at that time in the roadstead of Loch Maria, where one of them with a quarter of its war crew performed duty between belle-isle and the continent d'artagnan had an opportunity of convincing himself that porthos though engineer and topographer was not deeply versed in affairs of state his perfect ignorance with any other might have passed for well-informed dissimulation but d'artagnan knew too well all the folds and refolds of his porthos not to find a secret if there were one there like those regular minute old bachelors who know how to find with their eyes shut each book on the shelves of their library and each piece of linen in their wardrobe so if he had found nothing our cunning d'artagnan in rolling and unrolling his porthos it was because in truth there was nothing to be found be it so said d'artagnan I shall get to know more at van in half an hour than porthos has discovered at belle in two months only in order that i may know something it is important that porthos should not make use of the only stratagem i leave at his disposal he must not warn aramis of my arrival all the care of the musketeer was then for the moment confined to the watching of porthos let us hasten to say porthos did not deserve all this mistrust porthos thought of no evil perhaps on first seeing him d'artagnan had inspired him with a little suspicion but almost immediately d'artagnan had reconquered in that good and brave heart the place he had always occupied and not the least cloud darkened the large eye of porthos fixed from time to time with tenderness on his friend on landing porthos inquired if his horses were waiting and soon perceived them at the crossing of the road that winds round and which, without passing through that little city, leads toward Vannes. These horses were two in number, one for Monsieur de Vallon, and one for his equerry, for Porthos had an equerry since Mouston was only able to use a carriage as a means of locomotion. D'Artagnan expected that Porthos would propose to send forward his equerry upon one horse to bring back another, and he, D'Artagnan, had made up his mind to oppose this proposition. But nothing D'Artagnan had expected happened porthos simply told the equerry to dismount and await his return at Sarceau whilst d'artagnan would ride his horse which was arranged eh but you are quite a man of precaution my dear porthos said d'artagnan to his friend when he found himself in the saddle upon the equerry's horse
1: yes but this is a kindness on the part of aramis i have not my stud here "'and Aramis has placed his stables at my disposal.' "'Good horses for bishops' horses. my Dieu,' said D'Artagnan. "'It
0: is true. "'Aramis is a bishop of a peculiar kind.' "'He is a holy man,' replied Porthos in a tone almost nasal "'and with his eyes raised toward heaven. "'Then he is much changed,' said D'Artagnan. You and I have known him passably profane.
1: Grace has touched him,
0: said Porthos. Bravo, said D'Artagnan. That redoubles my desire to see my dear old friend. And he spurred his horse, which sprang off into a more rapid pace.
1: Peste, said Porthos. If we go on at this rate, we shall only take one hour instead of two
0: to go how far do you say porthos
1: four leagues and a half that will be a good pace i could have embarked you on the canal but the devil take rowers and boat horses the first are like tortoises the second like snails and when a man is able to put a good horse between his knees that horse is better than rowers or any other means you are right You,
0: above all, Porthos, who always look magnificent on horseback.
1: Rather heavy, my friend. I was weighed the other day.
0: And what do you weigh?
1: Three hundred weight,
0: said Porthos proudly.
1: Bravo! So, that you must perceive, I am forced to choose horses whose loins are straight and wide. Otherwise I break them down in two hours.
0: "'Yes, giant's horses you must have, must you not?'
1: "'You are very polite, my friend,'
0: replied the engineer with affectionate majesty. "'As a case in point,' replied D'Artagnan,
1: "'your horse seems to sweat already.' "'Dame, it is hot. Ah, ah, do you see Van now?'
0: "'Yes,
1: perfectly. It is a handsome city, apparently.' Charming, according to Aramis, at least, but I think it black. But black seems to be considered handsome by artists. I am sorry for it.
0: Why so, Porthos?
1: Because I have lately had my chateau appear fond, which was gray with age, plastered white. Humph, said D'Artagnan, and white is more cheerful. Yes. But it is less august, as Aramis tells me. Fortunately there are dealers in black as well as white. I will have Pierre Fonds re plastered in black. That's all there is about it. If grey is handsome, you understand, my friend, black must be superb. Dame, said D'Artagnan, that appears logical. Were you never at van, D'Artagnan? Never Then you know nothing of the city. Nothing. Well, look,
0: said Porthos, raising himself in his stirrups, which made the four quarters of his horse bend sadly.
1: Do you see that corner in the sun yonder?
0: Yes, I see it plainly.
1: Well, that is the cathedral. Which is called? Saint Pierre. Now look again. In the Faubourg on the left, do you see another cross? Perfectly well. That is Saint-Betern, the parish preferred by Aramis. Indeed? Without doubt. Saint-Betern, you see, passes for having been the first bishop of Van. It is true that Aramis pretends he was not. But he is so learned that that may be only a uh, peril, a para- a paradox said d'artagnan precisely thank you my tongue trips i am so hot
0: my friend said d'artagnan continue your interesting description i beg what is that large white building with many windows
1: oh that is the college of the jesuits Bordeaux, you have an apt hand. Uh, do you see, close to the college, a large house, with steeples, turrets, built in a handsome Gothic style, as that fool, Monsieur Guitard, says? Yes, that is plainly to be seen. Well? Well, that is where Aramis resides.
0: What? Does he not reside at the Episcopal Palace?
1: No that is in ruins the palace likewise is in the city and aramis prefers the faubourgs that is why as i told you he is partial to saint paterne saint paterne is in the faubourg besides there are in this faubourg a mall a tennis court and a house of dominicans look that where the handsome steeple rises to the heavens well next. You see, the faubourg is like a separate city, it has its walls, its towers, its ditches, the quay is upon it likewise, and the boats land at the quay, if our little corsair did not draw eight feet of water, we could have come full sail up to Aramis's windows! Porthos,
0: Porthos! cried D'Artagnan, you are a well of knowledge, a spring of ingenious and profound reflections, Porthos! you no longer surprise me you confound me
1: here we are
0: said porthos turning the conversation with his usual modesty and high time we were thought d'artagnan for aramis's horse is melting away like a steed of ice they entered almost at the same instant the faubourg but scarcely had they gone a hundred paces when they were surprised to find the streets strewed with leaves and flowers against the old walls of van hung the oldest and the strangest tapestries of france from over balconies fell long white sheets stuck all over with bouquets the streets were deserted it was plain the entire population was assembled on one point the blinds were closed and the breeze penetrated into the houses under the hangings which cast long black shades between their places of issue and the walls suddenly At the turning of a street, chance struck the ears of the newly-arrived travelers. A crowd in holiday garb appeared through the vapors of incense which mounted to the heavens in blue fleeces, and clouds of rose leaves fluttered as high as the first stories. Above all heads were to be seen the cross and banners, the sacred symbols of religion. Then beneath these crosses and banners, as if protected by them, walked a whole world of young girls clothed in white, crowned with cornflowers. At the two sides of the street, enclosing the cortege, marched the guards of the garrison, carrying bouquets in the barrels of their muskets and on the points of their lances. This was the procession. Whilst D'Artagnan and Porthos were looking on with critical glances, which disguised an extreme impatience to get forward, a magnificent dais approached preceded by a hundred Jesuits and a hundred Dominicans, and escorted by two archdeacons, a treasurer, a penitent, and twelve canons. A singer with a thundering voice, a man certainly picked out from all the voices of France, as was the drum-major of the imperial guard from all the giants of the empire, escorted by four other chanters, who appeared to be there only to serve him as an accompaniment, made their air resound and the windows of the houses vibrate under the dais appeared a pale and noble countenance with black eyes black hair streaked with threads of white a delicate compressed mouth a prominent and angular chin his head full of graceful majesty was covered with the episcopal mitre a headdress which gave it in addition to the character of sovereignty that of asceticism and evangelic meditation aramis cried the musketeer involuntarily as this lofty countenance passed before him. The prelate started at the sound of the voice. He raised his large black eyes with their long lashes and turned them without hesitation toward the spot whence the exclamation proceeded. At a glance he saw Porthos and D'Artagnan close to him. On his part D'Artagnan, thanks to the keenness of his sight, had seen all, seized all. The full portrait of the prelate had entered his memory, never to leave it, one thing had particularly struck D'Artagnan. On perceiving him, Aramis had colored. Then he had concentrated under his eyelids the fire of the look of the master and the indefinable affection of the friend. It was evident that Aramis had asked himself this question. Why is D'Artagnan with Porthos? And what does he want at Van? Aramis comprehended all that was passing in the mind of D'Artagnan. On turning his look upon him again, and seeing that he had not lowered his eyes he knew the acuteness and intelligence of his friend he feared to let him divine the secret of his blush and his astonishment he was still the same aramis always having a secret to conceal therefore to put an end to his look of an inquisitor which it was necessary to get rid of at all events as at any price a general extinguishes a battery which annoys him aramis stretched forth his beautiful white hand upon which sparkled the amethyst of the pastoral ring he cut the air with sign of the cross and poured out his benediction upon his two friends perhaps thoughtful and absent d'artagnan impious in spite of himself might not have bent beneath this holy benediction but porthos saw his distraction and laying his friendly hand upon the back of his companion he crushed him down toward the earth d'Artagnan was forced to give way indeed he was little short of being flat on the ground in the meantime aramis had passed d'Artagnan like antaeus had only touched the ground and he turned toward porthos almost angry but there was no mistaking the intention of the brave hercules it was a feeling of religious propriety that influenced him besides speech with porthos instead of disguising his thought always completed it
1: It is very polite of him, said he, to have given his benediction to us alone. Decidedly, he is a holy man and a brave man.
0: Less convinced than Porthos, D'Artagnan made no reply. Observe,
1: my friend,
0: continued Porthos.
1: He has seen us, and instead of continuing to walk on at the simple pace of the procession as he did just now, see what a hurry he is in do you see how the cortege is increasing its speed he is eager to join us and embrace us is that dear aramis
0: that is true replied d'artagnan aloud then to himself it is equally true he has seen me the fox and will have time to prepare himself to receive me but the procession had passed the road was free d'artagnan and porthos walked straight up to the episcopal palace which was surrounded by a numerous crowd anxious to see the prelate return d'artagnan remarked that this crowd was composed principally of citizens and military men he recognized in the nature of these partisans the address of his friend aramis was not the man to seek for a useless popularity he cared very little for being beloved by people who could be of no service to him women children and old men that is to say the cortege of ordinary pastors was not the cortege for him ten minutes after the two friends had passed the threshold of the palace aramis returned like a triumphant conqueror the soldiers presented arms to him as to a superior the citizens bowed to him as to a friend and a patron rather than as a head of the church there was something in aramis resembling those roman senators who had their doors always surrounded by clients at the foot of the prison he had a conference of half a minute with a jesuit who in order to speak to him more secretly passed his head under the dais he then re-entered his palace the doors closed slowly and the crowd melted away whilst chants and prayers were still resounding abroad it was a magnificent day earthly perfumes were mingled with the perfumes of the air and the sea the city breathed happiness joy and strength d'artagnan felt something like the presence of an invisible hand which had all powerfully created this strength this joy this happiness and spread everywhere these perfumes oh oh said he porthos has got fat but aramis is grown taller End of chapter 71 Recording by John Van Stan Savannah, Georgia